0: guys, that's Easter. Like, for us in the room, this is a reason that we can rejoice. If if our hope is in Christ, this is the reason that we can rejoice. And it should be exciting. It should be something that we're excited for. It's not just just another day. It's not just, oh yay. Like, this is Easter. This is the day we celebrate the risen Jesus. And, And I'm really excited. This is the first Easter I've ever preached. This is the first sermon I've ever preached out of Matthew. Yes, we're not in Matthew today. Um, this is the first week that I've had this. Oh man, like God, like what do you want me to preach on? Like, where do you want us to go? What passage do you want us to preach on? So for those of you that haven't been here, we've been in Matthew since January 2016. I've always known that I'm picking up right where I left off the week before. Or I'm picking up right where Taylor left off the week before. And this week was different. Um, if you want to go ahead and turn to 1 Peter. Um, It's funny, but I, I. bought a new Bible yesterday because Matthew and mine is starting to fall out. Like seriously, we've been in Matthew, but Matthew is starting to fall out. Um, but I'm really excited to be in First Peter today. There are so many Easter sermons. There's so many ways in the Old Testament, New Testament passages that we can look at that that either talk about the resurrection of Jesus or Old Testament that. That talks about the coming Savior, the coming King that is going to not only die for the sins of the world but be resurrected on the third day. There's so many things that we could look at. And one, the two things I want—I was really looking forward to—just the truth of the resurrection, the truth of Jesus conquering death, but how that leads us to have joy, not just happiness, not just mere worldly excitement, but but joy. Peter's gonna call it inexpressible joy. That we can't even express. And I think it's important to note that like this isn't gonna be a a regular Easter sermon where we we recount the events of the morning that Jesus um, arose from the dead. That's that's not the route I'm going. We're not gonna just uh, talk about that, that wonderful, beautiful morning. But we're talking about because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, because of that truth. What does that mean? Because Jesus rose, because he's not in the grave, what does that mean? And I want to guard against assuming too much, because the structure I'm going to go through is, is not three points, not three sentences, but three statements. got to mix it up. Three statements, because, then kind of statements. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, then this. Well, I, I want to assume, I don't want to assume too much about our understanding of the resurrection. Because the reason that we as a church celebrate Easter is because we believe that Jesus, the perfect son of God, stepped down onto this earth, lived a perfect life, was killed on a Roman cross, not because of anything he did wrong, but because of our sins, because of our rebellion against God, that he took the weight of that on him that we might be justified, that we might be forgiven for our sins. And then on the third day, he conquered death, he rose from the grave. Once and for all, if you need death, once and for all, be raised so that we might be raised with him. And this is not a, a now fulfillment, this is eternally, we will be raised with him. That although we will face physical death on this earth, probably, that we have hope of eternal life spent with him. Like, this is awesome. This is what gives us a reason to hope. And so, my, my three statements, I tried to make it really easy this morning and put them on the screen for you. Like, for those of you who take notes, I've never done this before, the, my, points are gonna, my statements are going to be on the screen. So, I'm going to read through them. They're going to be up there. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we then can live confidently in Christ, Despite worldly circumstances. They're going to be up there numerous times, Andy, so you don't have to get them on. Because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we then can live hope, we can hope fully on the promise that Jesus will return and make all things new. Because of the death and the resurrection of Christ, we then can rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. So we're going to be, I'm going to read the first nine verses of 1 Peter. This is right before, actually, where I went through Advent this year. In um, Advent, I think we went 8 through 13, maybe. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 9. 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So these, these first two points are actually very similar statements. These first two statements are very similar. They they go together very, very well. But the first one, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, this is statement number one for the PowerPoint. We then can live confidently in Christ despite worldly circumstances. The Christians that Peter is writing to he, he calls them the elect exiles of the dispersion. These are Christians that have been scattered because of their faith. This this uh, the book of First Peter is thought to be and, and thought to be studied or thought to be written in the 60s or the 60s AD during the time of Nero, who was known for having one of the most intense persecutions of the Christian Church in in history. And these are Christians that have been scattered. They're running for their lives. They're uh, Scattered, they're exiles, they've they're, they're been run from their homes, they're, they're running. But listen to what Peter writes. This is in verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says, In this you rejoice. He's not talking about rejoice because of their circumstances, but he's already said why they're ultimately rejoicing. Why do they have this joy? And that's in verse 3. Starting verse 3. I'm going to read this part probably 10 times this morning. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed the last time. That is why they're rejoicing. Because Jesus caused us to be born again. Through the resurrection of Jesus. That we have this hope that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. That the whole reason he died was because of our sins. Because of what we have done. And Peter says, because of that, because we're rejoicing in the hope that we have in Jesus, we can rejoice even amidst things here, things now, things in this world. Peter says that during the difficult things, in the hard things, in the icky things, that's Tanner's word, icky. Like even then, and that like, I don't know if what they've been going through, the persecution that they're in because they're icky. I think it's awful, it's evil. They're running for their lives. They're being killed for their faith. But their hope is not in the world. Their hope is not in being secure. Their hope is not in here. Their hope is not in now. Their hope is in Jesus and His resurrection, which is what Peter already said. And that is the only true hope. Like, if their hope is not in Jesus, if their hope is not in Jesus rising from the dead, then their hope is... We're going to read later, worthless, Futile. Like Jesus would say, this kind of hope, that is refined, like as, we're, as, as our faith is tested, as, we're, as it's refined by difficult things, that is to grow to a place that, verse 7 says, where it praises, glorifies, and honors Jesus. I don't know if you guys realize this or not. But we live in a world that is extremely messed up, broken, sinful, got lots of issues. It's going to get a real Easter happy for a second here. Like, we all have different experiences of what has led us to understand this, that led us to see this. Like, whether you watch the news and there's tragedy after tragedy after tragedy, or if you, as, as, you, as you watch a loved one walk through cancer or a certain disease, maybe it's... The effects the divorce has had on on your life, or, or the life of your family. Maybe it's through this intense loneliness, pain that you you have in your life. Like we've all have different experiences of how we understand a broken, sinful world. Like we see it all the time, and it's absolutely true. Easter Sunday, happy. But but seriously, like because of. I mention that just because, because of Easter, because we have hope in Jesus who has overcame death, taken our sins on Him, because of that, our hope is not in this world, no matter how often awful it is. Like, our hope is not defined by difficult things. Our hope is not defined by the awful things. Like, John, we're going to read this in more context later. But in Revelation, John says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. But the former things have passed away. Like, this isn't here, this isn't now. This is this is future. This is God is going to do this. It's a promise that He made. That eternally God is going to do this. Jesus is going to come back. All this is going to be made new. And God has promised that inheritance with Him for those that trust in Him. When Brent and I had the, the two kids for almost four weeks, we read the Genesis of the Bible every night to them. And I don't know if you've read any part of that phenomenal. Read it like I don't care if you're five or if you're 99. Read. It is so so cool. Like my appreciation for that grew because every single story points to Jesus. From the very beginning to the very end of it, it's all Jesus. The whole Old Testament points towards the rescuer, the one that God is going to send to rescue his people. Every single time. So much so that every single story, the kids got to the point where they were saying, wait, who's the rescuer? When is the rescuer going to come? And that was perfect. Like, that was the whole Old Testament. When is the rescuer going to come? And then once Jesus burst on the scene, then there's one sentence that was repeated numerous times. It always said, Jesus was making the sad things untrue. He was mending God's broken world. It wasn't just that Jesus came doing miracles, healing people in their physical bodies. It wasn't just that he was doing things that only God could do. He was here for something so much more important than our physical bodies. He was here for something so much more important than any disease, death, any of that. Like, what was the ultimate thing that Jesus came to make untrue? Like, our sin has eternally separated us from God. Eternally separated us from God. There is zero things that we can do to make that untrue. There's nothing we can do. Like, we're all sinners. Our relationship with God completely severed. No access to him. That's something that's worse than any disease, any pain, any death. Anything that we could possibly endure. That is what Jesus came to make untrue. Like, he took something. He, he took sin on him. And not a death that we all deserved. That, that, that broken relationship, the fact that, that we deserve the wrath of God because of our sin, this is what Jesus took. Like, this is why we rejoice. This is why we rejoice at this awful, broken, painful, hurtful. What other, what other words you want to throw in there? Like, he took that. we know that that was not the end. That, that's the beauty of today. That's the beauty of Easter. It's the beauty of what we celebrate. Because not even death could hold him. He rose from the grave, completely conquering death, completely conquering that, and then promises that he's going to come again. Promises that he's going to come back and fix it. He's going to come back and make all of this new and said that we would have an inheritance with him. But that's, it's not based on our circumstances here. Like, we can rejoice in a risen Christ regardless of our circumstances. going to go on to statement number two. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we then can hope fully on the promise that Jesus will return and make all things new. I'm going to read this again. 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 3. According to his great mercy he has caused us, he has caused us, to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfaithful, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you rejoice. In this you rejoice. Like we rejoice in spite of circumstances. We rejoice knowing that we have hope that he's going to come back and fix all of this. Because he's not dead, he's alive. But what is this inheritance? In John 14, Jesus comforts his disciples with the promise that he's going to prepare a place for them. They usually start thinking big, big house, lots and lots of rooms, <laughs> big, big table, lots and lots of food, We've done that on Sunday nights before. Wasn't gonna sing it, but I am not like that. But seriously, there's a promise. It's in Revelation 21. And this is one of the most beautiful, exciting passages, I think, in the Bible. I'm going to read 21, 1 through 5. This is John, seeing seeing all this unfold. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, Neither, neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold I am making all things new. Like this is the promise that we have. That, that God is going to make all things new. And because he has died, because he is raised he's going to make all things new. The sin, the disease, the pain, all of that, wiped away. All things new. This is the promise that we have. As believers, as those trusting in the final work of Jesus on the cross, raising the dead. That is the promise that we have. We have that promise because of the resurrection, because of Easter, because Jesus conquered death. And one of the most common, commonly preached passages about the resurrection, Paul, um, it's in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul talks about the necessity of the resurrection. Why was Jesus? Why is it so important that Jesus was raised? Why is it so important that he was just not killed on a cross but he was raised again on a third day? In chapter 15, I'm just going to read just a little bit of that. Paul says, For if the dead are not raised, if Christ did not rise from the dead, if Jesus did not defeat death, rising on the third day, we're hoping in something, we're hoping in a God that did not fulfill His promises. If Christ did not raise from the dead, then Paul is Paul saying, it's foolish. Your faith is futile. That's not the case. Like, we hope in Jesus, who was raised from the dead. We trust that His work on the cross Dying for the sins that we have committed. That we were born into and commit on a daily basis. That he died. That he rose again. So that when God looks at us, like we're justified because of Jesus. He doesn't see our sin. He sees the blood of Jesus that has washed us. He made us alive. Like, I'm just as guilty as anyone about this. But I don't hear us talking often about being so excited, so overjoyed. So, like, I can't stop talking about this, that Jesus died for me, that he made me alive, that I am right with God. Like, we're not, are we excited about this? Like, are we so excited about sports? We're so excited about Star Wars. We're so excited about whatever it is. That What is our excitement? Like, what are we excited about? What are the things we're talking about? What are the things that we are passionate about? Is it Jesus? Is it the cross? Is it the resurrected Savior? Or is it this, these things on earth that we're so excited about, that are so worthless, that are going to all perish, that are all, it's all going to go away? Like Peter says, we should be—we have this inexpressible joy. Joy is inexpressible. And that's the third point. Today. Because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we then can and should rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. Inexpressible joy. I tried really hard to find a good definition of inexpressible joy, and I couldn't. It's amazing. Something that's inexpressible doesn't have a good definition. Like, inexpressible. You're so excited you don't know what to do. Have have we ever been like this? So excited we didn't know what to do, we couldn't even express it. Peter, in verse 8, says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. I was trying to think of a good example. A good, a good say, Like, Why are we so excited? What is something that we can be excited about? And of course, as a lifelong, die-hard Cardinal fan, that's a baseball team for all you Southerners that don't like baseball. But... Like, this is a very, very imperfect example, and I'm using it because it's an imperfect example. Because I want to make a bigger point with this. And I'm going to show a one-minute video. It's the final out from the 2011 World Series, where the Cardinals beat the Texas Rangers. And please know this, I'm using this because it's an imperfect example. But, but just watch it for a second. I'm not crying, I Glad somebody that. Okay. We could go on and on and have a big conversation about the difference between biblical joy and worldly happiness. There is a huge difference there. Huge difference there. But did you see these grown men running around in circles, jumping on one another? There's a longer video of that. I gave you guys the short version where there's guys just sobbing. There's guys running in circles, trying to find something to hug. One guy just falls on the ground and starts rolling around. Like, they're so overjoyed about the fact that they won a baseball game. So overjoyed that they won a baseball game. My memories of that are gonna be around for a long time, but, they're playing for something that is a perishable wreath Paul would call it that trophy they got is going to rust that trophy they got is going to rot the nice expensive world series ring they got is going to they're going to lose them and they're going to disappear they're not going to last it's perishable it's going to go away we, the hope that we have, the promise that we have, is in something that is imperishable. Paul, in 1 Corinthians, this is in chapter 9, he compares the Christian life to that of an athletic event. He says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath we and imperishable. Like, do we get this? Do we get that what we're hoping in, the resurrection of Jesus, like, it's not going away. That is a promise that we have eternally, that we have forever. I'm going to read it again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Unfading. like we're not hoping in a trophy we're not hoping in a a pretty ring we're not hoping for memories that are going to last for a couple decades like we're talking about a promise made to us by by, by the God that created us that by his blood ransomed us from from our sin redeemed us from a a death that we deserved And we have a promise to live with Him. We have a promise that He did all this; that it's not us, but He did this. Like if if that's where our trust is, if that's what we're trusting for salvation, that our victory didn't just happen on a cross on Good Friday. It happened on an Easter morning where Jesus rose from the dead. That we're not to be those most pitied. Like we have a reason to rejoice. Without Easter, Good Friday is really not good. Like, Good Friday is really, really bad without Easter. It means that this guy that called himself Jesus, called himself the Son of God, died. the end. Like, it's really not good. Like, we've got nothing to be excited about. But Peter says in these opening verses, that because of Jesus dying, because of Jesus rising the dead, because of his resurrection, we rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. I'll ask again, like, is that our response? Is that our response to this huge promise, this hope, this awesome truth of the resurrection? Is that our response? Inexpressible joy. We saw grown men running around in circles, hugging, jumping, dog crying over a baseball game. What is, our response, what is our response to that hope that we have? All too often, I think, it's not much. I'm not talking about physical posture. I'm not talking about some crazy outward expression of what we believe, what we our hope is in. But should it not sometimes exhibit itself in crazy ways? Like, when we respond, if you feel like you want to run around and hug someone because of how excited you are that Jesus saved you, do it. Like, you know, are we excited about it? Do we show that, that that Christ has penetrated our hearts? That we said going through Matthew, that, that God is after our hearts. Is that right? do way? Do we understand that truth? I'm gonna go through the three statements one more time. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we live confidently in Christ despite worldly circumstances. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we then can hope fully on the promise that Jesus will return and make all things new. Because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we then can rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. respond, it's like think about what we're responding to. Think about what we're rejoicing in. Think about the fact that we were dead now we're alive. That because of Jesus dying and rising from the dead we will live eternally with him If that is where our trust is. The fact that we deserved death, we deserve eternal separation from Jesus, from God and through Jesus he redeemed us. Through the cross, through the resurrection, of Jesus, he bought us back. That's what we get to sing about. That's what we get to be excited about. Like, we're talking about Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Mediator, our Rescuer, our Salvation. Like, if this doesn't lead to this joy that is from the heart, I'm not talking about worldly happiness because of a baseball game. We're talking about biblical joy because of what Jesus has done. Because he rose from the grave. Like That's why Easter is supposed to be really, really happy. Really, really excited. Is that, is, is that where our excitement is? Like, we should be bursting forth with joy that is inexpressible. We can't contain ourselves. Like if if there's not the joy there, then we're missing something. Then we're missing. It. Then we don't realize what it meant to be dead and what it means to be alive. If we don't have that joy, then we must be missing the fact that we were dead and Jesus made us alive. And think about what are we responding to? It's not the music. It's not to words on a screen. We're responding to Jesus, who has paid the price for us, has raised from the dead. Like that is our response. You're not responding because of the person next to you, because you somehow feel guilty, and now I've got to have an outward response. No, like that. That's not the response. The response is to Jesus. The response is to him making taking us from the dead to life. We get to celebrate because of Easter. We get to celebrate because he's alive and then he's going to make all things new.